this computer. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I missed you. Did you miss me? This is my lovely, sultry voice coming at you. I guess I'll introduce everybody else. Hey, I'm Chris Sinclair, your co-host, alongside Drew Garrison, who's also your co-host. We're co-hosts together. We co-host while holding hands. Your voice does sound sultry. I wonder if the time off was like just what you needed, you know, to, to kind of really put you back on the back on the path to sultriness no 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 i stressed out about all my time off uh and then i stressed out about all the things that i wasn't doing while i was on my time off yeah it's pretty great yeah was, uh, you were still wasting people's time with a bunch of like political memes and stuff on your instagram which i was hey, very man. upset about i was like i was like dude take I, a break i scream into the void that's you uh, do scream into the void quite, quite a bit well well we are back we, i mean technically it only seemed like a week off, but we've actually been off for a couple of weeks to the point where even my wife was like, are you still doing the podcast? And I was like, thanks for listening, babe. Appreciate it. Um, no, she does not listen, which we've discussed about, you know, multiple times on the show, but no, the, the, the time was good. I think the, like the midsummer break that we end up taking uh, ends up, ends up being really nice. Although now I'm trying to get back into booking mode and we have some really fun people lined up, but I'm also just like, I'm being really awful about follow-up. Like I'm really channeling my old, um, you know, behind the stick days when I wasn't really behind the stick, but I definitely acted like one and I just don't respond Act, to people. For acted weeks. like one, yeah. like what, like a bartender. Yeah. You, just, yeah. just like, you know, <laughs> what a dick. just, just let people email me and I just ignore them. Even though like they want to be a part of this. I'm kind of like, of course you do, you know? So, um, but actually, you know, it, at the same time, it's, it's, it's worked out because we've had a couple of people that we've wanted to have on previously. And due to the fact that none of us are tech savvy, we couldn't yeah. make it happen the last time. Like, and, and you know, what's, what's funny about that is that I actually God, who was, I was talking to one of our listeners, which I still can't believe that we have those. And I feel bad now because I can't remember who told me this, but we were talking about, they're like, Oh, I just listened to the episode. I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry about these technical difficulties. It's like, Oh no, it's kind of cute that you guys still have those. And I just was like, well, I guess at least it's endearing to people. <laughs> so, you know, then people like, I mean, honestly, the, the fact that we've gotten this far and this good, yeah, whatever, whatever this is, whatever, whatever on your scale of this is, yeah. Yeah, is is really impressive. Given like if you if you know us, which most people do, mostly it's just my mom that listens, right? Just yeah, kidding. my wife is like my boss. It's fine. 
Well, you know, and then, but I think what I, what I do is like, so like somebody who, who we've started to take a lot of, and, and we did before, but like even more so now is like the guys at, at speakeasy, you know, with Suther and, and Damon, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but I've talked to Damon a couple of times. Cause now that we're, we've become like chummy with each other. And, uh, and I listen to their podcast. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, they don't sound great either. I mean, they have great conversations, but you know, the audio still is because at the end of the day, it's really not about that. Like we're just trying to get good content out with good people. And sometimes if that means that it sounds a little crappy or like I cut out a quarter of the way through or whatever the hell the case is, like it is what it is. So um, I also like that. I also like that. Like our uh, uh, self uh, detrimental speak has become also sort of a keynote of our, of every episode. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, I I think it's just, this is what happens as you become less impressed with yourself um well tonight's tonight's guest is someone that like i said we've been we tried to get on here previously and we couldn't figure it out we finally figured it out and um it's someone that i think is it's it's one of those situations where like he's doing something that he doesn't have to do in an area that is not really known for it. And when you start to push the envelope when it comes to this spirits world and you start to do things that, you know, you when you go that extra mile, when you put that extra effort in, it just seems so much more important. And that's what I love about him and his bar. And so tonight's guest is, uh, and, and I could be wrong about this, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give you the freaking nickname now, but he's a founding father of the cocktail movement in Fresno, California. I like Our it. Guest, I- yeah, that's we'll support that's it. Seems, it's right? codified. It's here yeah. now. We said it. It's done. <laughs> yeah. Uh Ryan Metcalf from the Modernist in Fresno. Ryan, you're here. We made it. We're 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 talking to you live. Tell yeah. us, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you sipping on? Let's get into it. Uh right now I'm sipping on some rye whiskey, just over a small chip of ice. Um, but super excited to be here, you guys. Thank you so much. Uh sorry it didn't work out the last time. As you mentioned before, I'm definitely not tech savvy, but I, I can make a mean cocktail, I do believe. So happy to oh, be I, here. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And so, you know, I, I want to give some context to to some of our listeners who may not be familiar with, with California and what kind of with the makeup, but you know, Fresno is is known for a couple things. There's there's a state university there. Uh, it's very agricultural agricultural focused. Um, and uh, and there that's it. That's what it's known for. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. And then you have this bar that you're running called modernist who is doing these craft cocktails and has this, you know, and now it's like, you're starting to see more and more places pop up around you. Right. And some really cool and rad spots, but it's like, you know, you're kind of like the Kool-Aid man, the first one through, through the wall. And there's just so much enthusiasm that I've been fortunate enough to be around and I can see, and I continue to see it unfold online. And now I'm starting to see like more of my friends are making their way down to Fresno in the terms of like reps and just people in general, where it's kind of like, it's like, yeah, man, you guys, you can't sleep on this town anymore. Like you got to go there. You got to check out what these guys are doing. Um, with that being said, I mean, what is it like to kind of be like the first one to be like, Hey, let's, let's do crack cocktails and let's do them right. We were, I mean, it feels great uh, to be able to do it and have it received as well as it has been. Uh, we have people from all over the city coming down. Weren't sure how it's going to work out in downtown. It's uh, under development right now. Not a whole lot to do. Well, now there actually is. But when we moved down there, there wasn't a ton. Uh, but everybody's trying their hardest to, to make it a really cool place. Uh, the market itself is growing 
more and more and more and people are more interested in different flavor profiles and just what cocktails can bring you know the cherry on top at the end of their day or something to celebrate with uh but it's it like it's, it's difficult to answer because it changes so much um when we started we weren't sure if people were going to dig it uh they definitely seem to but it feels good that uh people are interested and remain interested and to see other places pop up doing it too is awesome. We weren't the very first, like there were restaurants doing it before. That's where I learned how to do it. But uh, as far as like the first sole craft cocktail bar, I suppose it was us. And it's just neat. It's cool to see other places popping up and uh, just the, the culture growing for sure. So when you're in a position where, you know, you're at a restaurant, you're trying to give an elevated, you know, experience, where were you pulling in for, in for like, you know, inspiration from where do you continue to pull inspiration from? Because, you know, like I said, like you guys have kind of built this community that's, that's starting to spread out. And I'm sure, you know, it's always fun to feed off of each other and stuff like that. But when you're the only one or when, you know, modernist doesn't exist and you're, you're developing as a bartender, it's like, what sources were you looking to? How did you personally develop? I read everything I could. I watched every documentary I could. I just ripped into the subject and became pretty obsessed with it. Uh, I tried to make it to larger markets to see what I could learn just by sitting at bars and watching. Like I remember stumbling into PCH and Kevin was behind the bar and I got a Stigi from him and I had no idea what the bar was or who the guy <laughs> made it. But I knew it was really good and that I was interested and in that I wanted to be able to do something like that where, where I was from. Because even though we're surrounded by insanely fresh ingredients and a lot of really cool ingredients, it doesn't seem like they make their way into cocktails enough for me. The culinary scene is, is growing and evolving as well. So we start to see it. Mm -hmm. but inspiration is drawn from everything, really. Um, and for me, I had the opportunity to learn at a cool place, a busy restaurant where we had access to fresh juice and proper syrups and learn how to make them. And then I got another opportunity to help open a steakhouse where I actually had creative, you know, control and influence on the menu. And so it was just baby steps for me and, and learning my craft and falling more and more in love with it and figuring out what worked for me and what worked for the market, what they were ready for and how far we could push at each time. I remember like the first thing that we did that we thought nobody would like was um, like a Kobe beef fat Manhattan for a steakhouse. And it turned out that people did want a savory cocktail. They were ready for it. Um, and then we just went from there and we opened Modernist. We introduced just way different flavor profiles like the tzatziki cocktail and um, Ace's Tom Yum cocktail. We just put a mushroom cocktail on there. And, so scotch infused mushroom with honey and soy sauce, chenar and rye whiskey, and it's just, and sesame oil. So kind of like translating that culinary experience into, into cocktail. But as far as inspiration, a little bit of everything, as far as how I got here, just, I read everything I could and I watched every documentary and, and just sat at really cool bars. Yeah. What was, your, what was your favorite documentary that you watched that, that probably stood out to you the most? Um, hey, Bartender was one of the first ones I watched. Yeah, and it was just, uh, yeah, it was just like I stumbled upon it. I didn't really know there were cocktail documentaries at the time. And I, I think because it was the first one that I kind of just ran into, everything for me was, was books before that. Um, I, I dug it, you know, like seeing a guy making bitters in his house and just the, the elevation and that people were starting to get interested in this craft that seemed like it was, you know, it kind of got forgotten about a little bit or people just didn't want to try as hard as they could or should, in my opinion. And uh, the resurgence was, I feel like, probably like probably 15 or 20 years ago, it just got stronger and stronger. And once I got into the industry, I didn't know I wanted to be a bartender at first, but slowly and surely I fell in love with it. It's like, you can talk to people and exercise creative, um, well, creativity in every aspect, whether it's like doing a wash or thinking of a different garnish. Um, you can, yeah, you 
sky's the limit, really. I think one of my favorite things about Hey Bartender, at least for me at the time, was like I knew almost everybody that was like featured in that. So it was like when I watched it, I was like, oh man, I gotta like see all my homies on like on on a, in a movie. Like this is so this is so great. And I was just like texting all of them, be like, oh my god, it's rad. That is awesome. Now is now you also mentioned books. Is there? Is there, let, let's, I'm going to have you a two-part question. One, aspiring bartender, you know, wants to take his town, build it up. What book should they read? And then what book do you find yourself continuing to go back to, you know, as you've, you know, even though you've progressed in this, in this field? Uh, so uh, the book, book that I recommend to start is, is The Bar Book by Morgenthaler. It's got a little bit of everything. Uh, I wouldn't know that guy. Cool practical, right? Uh, but it's just a solid, it's a solid um, book. It's got a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? It was one of the very first ones I got and it served me really well. Uh, Death and Company, the very first book was a really cool one too. I love how they go into the guests at the bar and talk a little bit about them. Because it might be like, that's what, it's one of the most special parts about doing what we do. So we get to meet these really cool people and they become a small part of your life. You know what I mean? And you get to influence them for, for the good and they can do the same for you. I thought that was awesome. One that I always go back to is The Drunken Botanist by Amy Stewart. I just love the way that it's written. Um, it is super awesome. Um, I love everything about it. That's a great one. Good call. Um, so you're, you know, you're talking about the guest experience and, and I remember, I mean, and again, I'm way overdue on a visit, but I remember sitting down and looking at, looking at your menu. And as I was going through it, you know, each, like there was multiple people contributing to it. So what you would see is you would see the the name of the cocktail, which more often than not was going to be hilarious, which I think is a great way to disarm people when you're introducing like kind of, you know, wild concepts to them, right? It's kind of a good way to go like, hey, this is fun. Like, don't be intimidated by this. So you had that. Of course, you had kind of what was in it to a certain degree, but then there was a story and how that bartender was inspired to do it, which I remember having the conversation at the time. It's like giving people ownership over their cocktails was like a really, really cool thing to see. And um, just, you know, what, what's some of the thought process behind that? And, you know, are, are you guys, I mean, I guess, are you guys still doing it? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, the menu is digital now. Uh, so it's, you have a little bit of scrolling to do, but I think it's important to have tasting notes as well as inspiration on there. Um, I've, some of my bartending buddies make fun of me because it is lengthy, but I think it's important <laughs> and to have your, yeah, to have your name attached to it is nice. You know what I mean? You work super hard on this thing. We don't make it easy for people to get onto the menu. Um, it's a multi-step process with like a lot of research and development, you know, from talking about the cocktail, understanding why we use, which ingredients we use, how they harmonize together and why, and then why we make it, who's it for, you know, what's the purpose that drives the cocktail and, you know, how do you expect someone to enjoy it and why? So yeah. all these questions are important and we talk about all of it really thoroughly. Uh, that way everyone knows on, on for the stat or for the team too. Uh, it's, it's just gone over. You know, I think it's super important to understand why you made it, not just why it's good um, and how it became good. And it's, it's kind of like, that's part of the story for the cocktail is how it was made, who made it and why they made it. And noting those things on the menu is important to me because I think that a lot of people who do this now view it as an art form. And every artist likes a little bit of information behind the piece, what they did and how many hours went into it. It doesn't necessarily matter as long as someone enjoys it. And I think it helps people connect to it. And again, it disarms them a little bit. So they're a little bit less afraid of 
what's in it. And, you know, it's, it's already something that's approachable uh, from the name down to the ingredients to the description. It just makes people feel more comfortable, willing to try new and different things. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome, man. I mean, and again, it, I, so when I looked at it, it was on the digital version and it's just kind of like, whatever, we're on our phones all the time anyway. So, you know, so I, I felt like it was, you know, it was, it was an appropriate amount of, of uh, thumb swipes to get through it. So, so you tell those guys, they can come talk to me about the length. Uh, Chris, what are you sipping on? Um, as you mentioned, we were on vacation last week uh, or the week before or both. I don't remember. Time has no meaning anymore. Regardless, uh, in the in the near past, uh, uh, my wife had a work uh, work trip to San Diego. And so I was on daddy duty on the trip. And it was lovely because I've been bonkers uh, running the running the shop and trying to cross the finish line with getting bodega open. And um, so it was nice to like get some un- unadulterated time with my daughter. It was really nice to sort of like physically detach, even though mentally I wasn't detached. Uh, regardless, though, uh, I wanted to make it to the Mecca in um, in San Diego to uh, Old Town Liquor. And I did. And I found a beautiful bottle of Tapatio Excelencia, which is hands down one of my favorite bottles of all time. Nice. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, they're extra aged Añejo. Um, Drew knows uh, me very well in that I'm not a huge fan of overly aged agave. I just, I, I don't think many people do it well. I don't think many people really know how to uh, get the most out of agave aged for a very long time. But um, God damn it, this is, this is just lovely, lovely juice. And one that's actually very hard to find right now. Yeah, so it's, the it's, fact it that you're able to pull I mean, that we, is pretty we, amazing. We don't have it at the shop, and um, uh, we tend to carry it pretty often, as often as we can, and we just don't have it. So I was pretty pretty pleased to be able to find it. Yeah, they have a, they have a pretty like impressive. halfway through the bottle uh, in the last like <laughs> week. So Good. That's what, that's what we want to hear. You're mm-hmm. just drinking and drinking a lot of it. I think the, like the Tapatio I always tell people is – uh, when you look at like their normal lineup, bang for your buck, it's really hard to beat that tequila, right? And it is the stuff is exceptional, whether it is the um, whatever it's that one or even like the the, the one ten. I love the one ten. One ten. I mean, the one ten and, and and the Excellencia are in my like top eight. Two of the same brand, still in top eight of all of all all uh, tequilas of all time. I just I I love them so much. Yeah, I just feel like I just go down the list and like all of mine are just like, I don't even know why I use the brand names. I'd be like, and then this is Carlos Camarena's yeah, Blanco. Yeah, yeah. And then this is, you know, this, you know I, uh, the other day, you know, I was down in Napa and was able to find us the, some of the uh, Ocho Puntas and, you know, brought that back to Bodega, which by the way, looks great. I didn't want to publicly Thank go you. on the record that uh, it is going to be a very cool experience. Look forward to people checking it out. But yeah, the Puntas was really fun, which is also made by Carlos. I still question the validity of the Puntas, though, because uh, explain to people explain to people what Puntas is. Just okay. Like... So when you when you are distilling something, you have the heads, the heart, and the tails of of the distillate, right? And typically for your finer spirits, like you are trying to get the heart of the distillate. Um, now the heads and the tails, sometimes they can be blended into it, but believe in most distillate 
inhalation, the heads are actually pretty toxic for you. But in agave, it's actually reversed. So your tails end up being what's like more toxic and harmful to a normal human body. Um, so what has happened over the years is they uh, have started to bottle the puntas because the American palate is full of a bunch of masochists. And um, I remember the first one that I had uh, and this was before it kind of took over the the American store. And, it, and this really happened in the last four years. Like, it's kind of crazy how how many puntas are out there now when it really wasn't a thing before. But the one that I had was at 76%. Um, and it was like, and it was from Caballito Cerrero. And so you would take a sip and it would basically just like dissipate on your palate, right? It would just be like, <laughs> just gone. Uh, but it's still like, for some reason, it still tasted good. Uh, this one, I believe the point is at 101 proof or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So obviously significantly lower, um, obviously a lot more tolerable on the palate as well. I mean, it, it definitely felt a little bit more concentrated than some of the other Ocho's that, that are out there. But so I'm just curious. I'm just like in most, like the other one that I think of is uh, like La Venenosa. They had a Puntas that was made out of a Ricea, uh, which was, uh, first off extremely expensive, uh, and then also much higher proof as well. So I'm just curious. It's like, you know, are these, is it just a high proof or is it a legit puntas? I don't know. I, I need to do some more digging when it comes to Ocho, but either way, I think, you know, I picked it up for 55 bucks, something like that. It's great. Delicious. Great. If, if you can get your hands on the, I mean, I'm going to be pro tequila Ocho pretty much no matter what, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Ryan, is that stuff that you guys have any tequila Ocho at the bar or anything from Carlos? Uh, we don't right now, but uh, it's probably something we should bring in, I suppose. That's right. You just pay me some, you know, advising, you know, fees and, and we'll Not make sure. it happen for you. Uh, <laughs> what, are you yeah. what are you sipping on, Drew? Okay, so I, so I made it a point for you to ask me today because it is kind of a big deal of what I'm drinking. Uh, now, first off, I haven't, I haven't really been drinking for the last couple of weeks. You know, sometimes you got to demonstrate to yourself that you have self-control. Um, but uh, I know it is weird. <laughs> but I, I hosted a virtual rum tasting a few weeks ago, and it was for the Execs Whiskey Club out of Southern California. And it was the first rum event that they had done. Uh, and so they're the, I guess, founder, leader, whatever you want to call him for now, reach out to me. He's like, Hey, do you want to do this? Uh, do you want to do this thing? Like what's usually your fees and stuff. And I was like, well, let me see the lineup. And he says, and it is just a murderer's row. Like, you know, we're talking stuff from Fiji, from Jamaica, like all cast rank stuff. I just was like, I was like, dude, you were going to destroy people's palates. He's like, yeah, and I'm also thinking about getting this one. And I just was like, if I get a sample of that, I will do it for free. And so he's like, all right, I'm getting, I'll get you a sample. And that sample was the Black Tot Last Consignment. So now I'm going to hold up a bottle just for you guys. That's here's worthwhile. That's, yeah, here's, that's, yeah yep. here's the finest Caribbean. And then mm-hmm. uh, in my ration cup here that I have is the, is the Black Tot Last Consignment. And so for our listeners, what the Black Tot Last Consignment is, is the last remaining rum from the daily rum rations that the British Royal Navy used to receive. That practice was ended on July 31st, 1970. Um, this stuff sat in what they referred to as flagons, which were like these basically these small mason jars in sailors' collections kind of all over the world. And they were all brought together and bought by Sukhinder Singh 
And between like 2001 to about 2008, 2009, he just collected as much as he could and then batted it all back together and then released it underneath the black, the last consignment uh, uh, in black top name. Uh, this is a bottle that typically retails anywhere from 800 to 13 at this point. And it is something that eventually when it's gone, you know, it is legitimately gone forever. So, um, so yeah, he, he gave, he gave that to me. And so that night, like I said, it was a murderer's row of rums. And so I maybe had already been drinking that day as well. And so I just was like, I'm, I'm going to hold off on this. And then I just kind of felt like tonight was the right night to, to get my little sample and, and pour it out. And the pot, the good news is, is that it's, it's July. So it's black top month. Everyone's thinking rum. We have the 51st anniversary is about to hit again. And we're actually going to get some more last consignment. And it's always kind of like scary because every time we get a new last consignment shipment, you're kind of like, is this the last one? Like, are we done after this? So um, now in terms of what's actually in the, in the, uh, in the cup, like I have no idea and neither, neither do they, you know, there's a lot of educated guesses and stuff. And there's a really great article on maybe rum that Matt Petrick did for cocktail wonk, which is a great deep dive, uh, really well researched, really, really well done, but no fucking idea what's actually in this class right now, but I'll tell you what, it's super concentrated, very viscous. Um, this is, I believe the third time I've had this. And each time has been a completely different experience, which is just super fun. So I'm going to see what I can do about finally getting myself one of these bottles. And if I do, I promise to share it with I you think, guys. I think, anybody else only, me. I think I've had it once. I'm, I, yeah, only one time. I don't uh, trying to think if I've had it twice. No, I, I believe only one time. And I, you know, I, I was legitimately surprised by it. I, um, cause I thought it was going to be, really over extracted wood i thought it was just going to be um dead juice but but it's not i mean it it holds up it's damn good yeah you know it clocks in at 54 percent. i remember the first time i had it i definitely felt it was a little woody for me at the time and where my palate was yeah. now um i really do enjoy it uh i feel like there is some heavy guiana in it like you can kind of i'd agree with that kind of feel like like hey this is mm -hmm. this is very familiar this is this is very demerara um i don't know ryan have you ever had this one i have not it sounds very cool uh sounds like a nice unicorn rum for sure it is for sure that uh, i mean it's like the unicorn yeah of all unicorns yeah. I mean, yes. it really is if lucky for you i know a guy that can get it for you so you know <laughs> sounds groovy man we'll, yeah, we'll have we'll have that, the... that training yeah i needed to give that a give that a sip or two for sure it sounds awesome all right, so now I think it's time for our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Well, hopefully that sound comes through better. It got like quiet and then big on, on my end. We'll see. We're going to find out when this episode releases. <laughs> um, all right, so our first story is actually about the uh, Uniform Law Commission is getting together to discuss alcohol direct shipping compliance between states. Uh, what the Uniform Law Commission is, is a group of lawyers who represent every different state and they meet every year and they discuss 
different um, who has jurisdiction in different situations. So basically what they're trying to do with this one is uh, is basically go after the direct shipping compliance and who's responsible and everything like that. So over the last two and a half years, three years, alcohol shipping has just gone crazy, right? People were stuck at home. They were trying to get things from here, trying to get things from there. Um, for the most part, if you don't have a license, obviously shipping alcohol is illegal. If you do have a license, sometimes if you, you can't ship to certain states, like for example, Utah doesn't let anybody ship into them. Um, but then of course there are always workarounds on this stuff. And so basically what this commission is doing is they're trying to figure out something that they will then put together and offer to states for them to enact. Now that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to, but typically a lot of like what, what this group does, does come to fruition. Um, so they're looking to penalize fulfillment centers. So one of the examples that was brought up is that if you are a winery and someone buys wine from you, you actually have your wine kept at a fulfillment center and that fulfillment center will package the wine for you and ship it to them. The, they pay the fulfillment center. The fulfillment center does not collect any money from the customer. Um, and then they were also just talking about, so if there was a situation that, and I think the, the example used was, was a DUI. If you were in Indiana and you got a, and you got a DUI, but you're a California resident, you wouldn't deal with California politics on that, right? You would deal with Indiana, like governing laws and things like that. They're trying to say that if you were to do something like this, you could be subject to whatever state's laws, which doesn't make sense in terms of crossing state borders and jurisdictions and things like that. It was a little bit of a heavy read, um, especially if you don't talk lawyer, which I don't think any of us do. But I do think that the examples that the guy gave, which was uh, the, the website was Irish Liquor Lawyer, which like I just want to be friends with this guy now because he just seems like he's got a lot of cool things going. But uh Ryan, I'm going to start with you. What did you think? Like, what were your takeaways? You know, because I know, you know, you guys are not in the business of shipping alcohol. You're in the, you know, you're in the business of handing alcohol to people. So right. what were some of your thoughts when you just kind of read this, like pretty much, you know, as, as an insider, but really as an outsider? Yeah, I mean, as you said before, uh, pretty dense. And I definitely do not speak lawyer. Um, but for all intents and purposes, it seems like you're cutting off a resource uh, for wineries and small businesses which mm. is uh, unfortunate at best, you know what I mean? It's just another another uh, hurdle that we have to jump over, a little bit more red tape. I don't think, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't agree with it, to be quite honest with you. I think if that's the way the winery operates and that's how it works best for them, then and nobody's getting hurt in the process. I, I don't see why it shouldn't be allowed. Um, but again, just more rules for more control, I believe. Um, not my favorite thing, you know what I mean? If it's a solid <laughs> product and nobody's getting hurt in the process of shipping and delivery. I think that uh, it should be allowed. Yeah. Chris, now you are in the business of occasionally shipping things and stuff like that. Uh, what were your takeaways from this article? Uh, you know, what kept uh, coming up in my brain was uh, actually oddly enough traffic laws. And I, I know he brought up the, the DUI uh, example, but uh, you know, if you get pulled over for speeding, um, not now, not every state is um, works the same, right? Just all, all states all have their own governments, their own policies. Um, but there are a handful of states, uh, federally speaking, 
that um, have handshake agreements that they will they will respect the rules of other states. Now, again, not every state does this, but let's say uh, I get caught for speeding in Nevada on my way home, uh, driving, uh, I don't know, Utah. Sure. Um, you know, and I'm on my way home to California. I get caught for speeding uh, in California. Those points will get added to my, uh, to my license as, as you know, marks against me and my insurance will go up so on and so forth. And I will still have to pay that fine uh, in, in Utah. Let's say I get pulled over for, for a DUI. I uh, am not arrested, but I don't show up for my court date in Nevada. There are some States that will extradite you to the state that you need to go to. So that way you have that. Uh, so, you, you know, you're properly penalized. Um, now the, the example that he brought up was that, you know, a California judge would then be enforcing in this, in this case, given this, this new act uh, would then be enforcing the law of, in my example, Nevada. Right? Yeah. And that, that seems a little, a little odd to me. And, and like really a whole lot of uh, judicial red tape, right? I mean, the, every state has their own bar, association and every lawyer has to pass that bar in order to practice that state's law. So now you're going to ask all the lawyers to practice other states laws. Are they going to have to pass that bar? It seems like, it seems like there's um, some judicial like hurdles that really are going to get in the way of this. I'd be surprised if the very first uh, time this, if this even gets implemented, if, if, you know, other other people who are part of the legal system, which clearly we are not, and this is really just my layman's understanding of it, um, makes it through somehow. They, they're seeing something that we're not seeing that makes this plausible. I don't see this as being plausible in, in really any way. And then if it goes all the way up to uh, up to the Supreme Court, especially this Supreme Court, I'd be really surprised if, uh, if they uh, hold up more of a federal law than a state's rights law. Yeah, but it's yeah. you have to be have the money to be be able to willing be able and willing to fight this all the way that way that far. Well, I mean, there's I think there's definitely a long history of people not at all involved in an industry dictating rules for that industry, right? Definitely. And you know, people- the, the other thing that comes to mind is um, uh, how are they going to catch people? You know, fucking with closed packages through the mail is a federal felony. It depends. I mean, so, you know, there's, you know, if you do ship anything through the United States Postal Service, you are correct. You cannot open any of those things. However, if you ship through something like FedEx, because FedEx is a, is a privately held company, you can act like they can open products if they can think. They? Yeah. If there, they there's, think a, there's a loophole there. I didn't, if I didn't realize that. I thought it was treated the same way. So yeah, if you, not affiliated with government, they can open your package. Yeah, so if they feel that there is a threat, you know, or something that is not supposed to be shipping through them, they will take it and they will open it. Um, it's, you know, it's really strange, you know, kind of go back to lawmakers in, in, you know, in this case, lawyers dictating things they don't really understand. I mean, look what's happened in California right now. There's the new alcohol certification that people are required to get. And like right now we're in the midst of the deadline, right? 
and more people. And so what I'm seeing, at least in, in my world is, so for example, former guest, Chad Brown just took it, right? As he's still working as a, as a bartender while still making his syrups, which go out and buy a syrup. Um, he, you know, got on Facebook the other night and was just irate about the fact that he's been doing this for 20 years and it's the exact same information that he's gone over multiple times, but he had to pay to take this test. Right. Um, and that's what we had discussed on our, on the last episode or the, the mm-hmm. episode before. That's right. Um, you know, we were talking about, you know, our, our bar is going to take care of it. Or are they not going to take care of it? Now, Chad works at a bar that really tries to take care of its people and is very industry friendly because it was started by a bunch of bartenders. Right. But they're not paying for it. I mean, the only thing that his manager could offer was an apology. Like shit, man, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I wish it wasn't like this and who knows, they might be doing something on the back end, but it didn't, I get that impression. But um, you know, I guess, you know, Ryan with your bar that you guys are running and I don't remember what the, what the bill name is like, but have you guys gone and done the updated training yet? Has your staff done it? I mean, so, I guess yeah. I don't want to be ousting you, but. <laughs> yeah, no, they have all done it, uh, or they're all trying to do it, I should say, which is funny that you bring it up because the final portal for the turn-in uh, is broken right now. And it's something that Ace has emailed them about multiple times. And Jesus. they're like, yo, we're sorry, uh, we're trying to fix it. And we're like, yeah, but the deadline is approaching. And these people already paid for it and took it and are trying to turn in and your portal doesn't work and it's not being fixed. So you're, you're charging to take a test that we've never had to take before. Uh, if that's the case, that's fine. We'll do what we can. And once you pass the test, like we'll take care of the team and we'll reimburse them. Uh, but the third part and the most ridiculous part is that the website doesn't even work to take the damn test. Off. You know what I mean? So they recommend this test and you take it, you get through it, and then you can't turn it in and get certification. I mean, and, I wonder, I wonder who uh, could have foreseen, you know, a million plus bartenders trying to, uh, trying to log <laughs> into a, a portal all within yeah. the same week exactly you know, that, that, that it would that crash it, it it would it wouldn't uh mm-hmm. live up to that and i wonder who could have seen that coming well that was yeah. like the like the craziest thing you know we we pulled up that excel worksheet of all those different agencies that you could potentially go through to get this certification it was like what a joke man and it's just you know and obviously the the intention makes sense like you're trying to make things safer and stuff like that but you know more often than not, we see this just constantly. It's like this industry is just such a scapegoat for everything, right? It's like, oh, well, they don't have any representation. So let's make them do another thing, you know, that was definitely covered in, you know, surf safe and all this different stuff. But we're going to make them do even more because we're California and we really care about people, you know? And it's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You just, you're working on your surplus. So, uh, no, I just think it's, I think that's ridiculous. I think this, this law is ridiculous to Chris, your point, having people interpret laws from different States and enforce those laws is just a horrible, horrible idea. Um, to me, you know, and this is what Ryan brought up. I was like, no one's getting hurt. Take it easy. Let people order wine through these different websites and stuff like that. And let's, let's, let's encourage, um, Let's encourage this like easier stuff. Not, you know, not I, make it harder. I, I uh, on a final note here, I, I kind of feel like this is a little bit of a death rattle of like a, a dying culture of of control here. Um, like like we've talked about 
over multiple episodes and between the two of us, Drew, often enough. You know, the fact that uh, shipping booze is just becoming culturally a norm, mm-hmm. really, like, and this is such a silly way of attempting to um, make it theoretically safer. Like, I don't even know what the point of this truly is. Right. Right. Like, yeah. What, that, yeah. Like, what, what, what does this get to? What, what problem is this technically solving other than previously in our history, we've had strict alcohol shipping laws and this is simply just attempting to like, and, you know, create that, embed that further into stone in some, in some way when the entire culture regardless of booze, but especially with booze is moving away from this with moving through interstate travel being very, very easy interstate shipping commerce, all of it. I mean, our booze laws are fairly draconian as they are. Um, But you know, this is, this is really just seems like a death rattle of a, a, of a culture that just is trying to like hold on to some sort of puritanical wish list it just it won't it won't stay because the cult the culture American people as a whole they want their booze and they want to be able to get it from anywhere that they can get it and it's just it, it, you don't get to raise an entire generation after generation of generation of people being told that they're special and they can have anything that they want except for booze from this one state you can't do that <laughs> well uh, yeah I know that I recently shipped some olive oil to former for, former guest uh uh luis fernandez because he said did you, that did you throw tic tacs into the box you know what i didn't because there was so little olive oil that it wasn't <laughs> going to make the enough of a sloshing sound of olive oil so i didn't worry because I, I tried it i was like oh no we're fine um but but luis was like Oh, there's no good spiced rum. And I was like, I cannot wait to send you good spiced rum so I can prove you wrong. Spiced and olive oil. Spiced olive oil. And uh, so I sent him the Lemon Heart Blackpool olive oil, the um, Chairman Reserve spiced olive oil, and the Ron Barlito three star spiced olive oil. Um, so he'll get that he'll get that this coming Friday, and I look forward to him wait. drinking his words because uh, spiced rum is not a crime, friends. No, uh, it is. It can be very, very good. And you don't have to make it yourself. You can just enjoy it. But now I think uh, you know what I want to do. I want to get the I want to get the Irish lawyer on the on the podcast. Let's leave it at that because yeah. I think he's got lots of things to say, and he can lawyer us up a little bit. And we all need a little lawyer in every once in a while. Everybody needs it. Yeah. Okay. So our next thing uh, is we're going to be talking about an article that was written for Food and Wine. Was the five mistakes that people make when drinking champagne? Um, so one of them, and I'm just going to run. I'm going to run through these real quick. One of them is serving it too cold. The other one is popping the cork tilting the glass over filling the glass and then serving it in a champagne flute. So um, I want to, to discuss this with now you, both of you guys, uh, Ryan in your current, in your current job, Chris, for a long time have served probably a lot of champagne and everything like that. 
Uh, when you saw this list, did you agree with it? Did you disagree with it? I think for myself, the only one that I kind of disagreed was, was I was like, dude, I like my champagne fucking cold. Like just, you know, ice in the vein champ. I really enjoy that. But for you guys, Ryan, let's start with you. Anything that jump out at you that you're kind of like, oh, that's kind of silly or, or yeah, that's exactly what I do. And I think that's right. Uh, well, nothing necessarily jumped out. I think everybody has their own opinion. Uh, whether you're a rookie or a um, sommelier, you know what I mean? Um, for me, it's, it's more about as, as like someone in hospitality, it's how do you, how would you like it? You know what I mean? So if a guest orders a glass of champagne at my bar, I ask them if they want it in a coupe or if they want it in a flute, you know what yeah. I mean? I think it really is people have misconceptions about how they're supposed to do something. Um, and really, if you go to a place, you know what I mean? And you're not sure, just do what feels comfortable, you know? Um, nothing necessarily jumped out at me, but what I took away from it is that I think a lot of people build rules around experiences and how they go out and how they should act or, you know, what they think is right or wrong. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that if you can enjoy champagne out of a bistro glass, then, then you should enjoy it out of that, to be honest. Yeah. So what, okay. So now what is your, what is your preferred way uh, as you look at this list, you know, and you kind of go within, you respond to kind of each one. I mean, I guess with the exception of like the tilting and, and whatnot, um, What's your preferred way to drink champagne and out of what vessel? I like it out of a coupe. Nice. Yeah. You know, like half to three quarters full. Um, Mostly because I I want to be mobile. If I'm drinking champagne, it's usually at a a party. You know what I mean? He wants to be mobile. Yeah. Be able to move around (laughs) with my champagne, man. It's all part of the game. You know, it's so, it's so funny that, that that's like, you know, part of the thought process because usually if someone was to give that answer, it's like, oh, I want it in a coupe because I want the aromatics to be able to like really be a part of it. And sometimes with the flute, it's a little too concentrated. And you're like, like, no, I want to be able to move. Like I just, yeah. uh, I love that. Chris. I mean, the, the aroma's part of it too, but you know, it's, it's nice to be able to, to dance around with your, with your champagne <laughs> in your glass. But uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, wider surface area is going to open up the nose, of course, but yeah, I'm just talking about how I enjoy it and the right way to enjoy it. It's however you're most comfortable. Yeah. I like that you chose a coupe for mobility too, because in our experience, especially uh, especially uh, insecure uh, male types are very offended by by coupes, and their their excuse is ninety percent of the time is, "Well, I'm just clumsy. I feel like I'm going to spill it." Uh, and so I like that you both cut that argument down because it's easier for you to move around a party with it, as oh, well as. Virtue signaled that you don't have that issue with your own masculinity. No, I think it's something that we get all the time, you know, like every single weekend. And when somebody asks me what kind of glass it's in, I always encourage them to drink it off a stem. And if they give me that, like, sada, I'm like, listen, man, James Bond drank out of this and he killed people for a living. I think you're going to be just fine. (laughs) Oh, man. I never, I never get tired of, of, of hearing men try to like, to, you know, to, make that request right because even they know when they're saying it they kind of sound like an asshole right (laughs) like the last one that i that i witnessed i just was like i was like oh he felt that he felt that in his bones (laughs) like he knew that he was acting like a jerk off um chris what's your preferred champagne yeah Uh, i i I, uh all of those i i mostly agree with um uh, every single one of those bullet points Mm. I'm with you. I do like it cold, but I like it to warm up in my cup. Mm. 
you know, uh, I'm also about the champ life. So um, uh, I also like roaming around. I, I consume it every chance I get. Anytime somebody brings me champagne, I'm consuming it. Anytime I have a chance to drink champagne, whether I'm sharing it or just by myself, it's hands down my favorite style of wine. Bar none. Yeah. I love champagne. And, yeah. and, pretty much bubbly wine in general. It's just, it's just fucking fun and makes me feel fancy and amazing. I, I agree. I, uh, you know, I've really been a late adopter to the sparkling variety and it's just, it's hard to kick it. Like once you really get into it, whether it's that or pet nats or, or whatever the case may be, like there's just, there's so much good stuff to have. I, I was doing the coop for a long time and then, um, you know, I was of the mindset that like, man, I'm just not getting, I'm having to go back to the bottle too many times to refill this because I am not a slow drinker. So I ended up switching to a red wine glass. Yeah. That's I use, I use wine glass as well. That's, I mean, that's my, my preference. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of a bummer because like, I do have really nice champagne flutes that I'm just like, I don't use these for anything. Like now they are just real estate taker uppers, which is, which is infuriating to me, but one of the, one of the things that they had on there was, uh, you know, don't ever, don't ever like pop the corks. Right. Um, so as someone who has been selling a lot more sparkling wines and champagnes, uh, nothing gives me more anxiety than opening a bottle of champagne. Cause you just don't know all the time what's going to happen. And, uh, but one of the things that they mentioned in it, which I do like and something that I incorporate is, uh, you know, not only do you throw like a towel over the top of, of the cork and really try to slowly work it out, but turning it that 45 degrees so it doesn't have that violent eruption out of the bottle. I just want people to know that because it just takes a lot of like the, the, the terror out of opening up a champagne bottle. Just turn like, you know, as you're opening it, just turn it. It's kind of like the DOS boot thing, you know? where it's like, you know, the bubble's coming, turn it. And so it doesn't. Um, and I just want people to know that because it's just been very helpful for me. I'm going to get, I'm going to get a little nerdy here. Um, uh, you know, with champagne, it, yes. If you are, if you are opening a bottle of champagne, simply just to consume the wine that exists within the bottle, don't pop that cork. Uh, also, if it's just like you and one other person, don't pop that cork. Cause then it's just, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's date night. Pop the cork. Do it. Fine. Fuck it. Whatever makes you guys feel fancy and gets your rocks off. Great. But uh, historically speaking, there's uh, different reasons for different ways of opening a bottle of champagne, whether you're sabering it, which is typically like a victory, you know, like the saber of the of the wine of the champagne was like a victory in battle. Yeah, it's like a major, major victory. So and then you would then spray that wine everywhere and people would get doused in it and they were stoked about it. The popping of it was like a celebratory party pop. I mean, that sound is iconic, right? Like you can't right. ever, it's on this podcast. You can't, that's right. We use it because it's just, <laughs> it's a good time. Yes. Yeah. It is what it is. But if you're simply just consuming it, popping that bottle introduces so much air violently into, into it that you'll actually start losing your fizz uh, from that wine faster. Uh, and nobody likes that. It's like drinking a flat Coca-Cola, right? So, yeah. And I mean, I do want to emphasize, like if you, if you're the type of person who's accident prone, 
continue to pop it because I love those internet videos <laughs> when those happen of like also, people getting nailed in the face. Point the fucking bottle away from you or anybody okay. else. Treat it like a loaded gun. It doesn't. Yeah. It terrifies the shit out of me, man. Every time like a newbie grabs a bottle and starts to open it, I like my shoulders go up and I kind of turtle shell a little bit and like twist my head away. Well, I got a, <laughs> I, I got a question. The wall. <laughs> I, I have a question for you guys. Okay. When I'm Brian, I'm gonna start with you. When you open a bottle of champagne, do you take the metal cage off before you pop the cork? I do. Okay, Chris. Fuck no. I didn't know that this was a debate. I didn't. <laughs> I did, but I was like, the way I was trained, it's like you have your serviette right there. Essentially, yeah. you you take the cage off, throw the serviette over the top, and then secure either side of the bottle with the serviette over it. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's there, you rotate, he's, you switch hands over the top, grab the bottom and then push and pull. Same. That, that, that is, is proper service. Uh, I, there's nothing about me or my life that is proper. <laughs> uh, and I just, I, uh, you know, uh, one of my server horror stories was um, I was serving Senator Barbara Boxer and her family. Her, I think her, her son had uh, just gotten his doctorate or something. I don't remember, but they were, her and her entire family uh, were sitting at my table. They had brought a bottle of champagne. Um, I was taking care of them. And, um, and halfway through the meal, they were like, all right, bring out the champagne. I was like, you know, this is really not cold enough. I was like, would, would you like me to try to like chill it faster? I could throw it in the freezer. I can like spend five minutes swirling it around a bucket of ice, you know, doing anything. They're like, no, no, fine. Fuck it. Bring it. It's fine. Um, so I'm standing next to the Senator and, um, standing across from her son at the table and I release the cage. I untwist the cage and I can't get my, I go to like pull the cage off and slide my thumb over the cork in like one motion uh, but the the bubbles were it was too warm inside um for people who don't know the, the average pressure inside a bottle of uh of bubbles champagne specifically is typically about like 75 pounds per square inch so when that thing comes out it's fucking shooting uh and so i couldn't get my thumb over it fast enough and there was the the party pop hella loud Everybody in the restaurant freezes, turns around because it was so loud. It shoots up to the ceiling and slams down the cork into the sun's um, water glass and sprays everybody with water. I was just like, <laughs> I'm dead. Like, that's like if if the Secret Service doesn't tackle me and like put me in a chokehold, uh, you know, this woman who controls my fate at this point in time is just going to be furious. And I'm like, I'm going to be fired and castrated and whatever. And luckily they were all amazing. Everybody was cracking up, having a great time. And they're like, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. They're, it was our fault. And I was like, Oh my God, thank God. So I never ever removed the cage anymore because that was like so traumatic for me. And that was like 15 years ago and I still don't do it. It's it's funny because like I again I didn't know it was a thing until a few weeks ago I opened up a bottle around our friend Kelly Babineau and you could just see how horrified she was that at one point there was no metal cage on the cork 
And she's like, oh, so you just open them like that. And I just was like, I didn't know there was another way. (laughs) I had no idea. Um, So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's something. Okay. So now I want to ask, I want to ask you guys, if you are chilling, if you need to chill a champagne bottle fast, I think this is something that all of our listeners can benefit from. I have my preferred method. What's uh, Ryan, what's your preferred method for quick chilling a champagne bottle? Uh, Crushed ice, salt and water. That baby, we're on the same page. Chris, what about you? Uh, yeah, I have two crushed ice, salt, and water. If you're maintaining motion, uh, if your hands cannot uh, be, if you need free hands, uh, take a um, wet washcloth, wrap it around the bottle, throw it in the freezer. Uh, by the time that that towel becomes um, hard and crispy, your your bottle should be should be nice and frozen, nice and chilled. I wish you guys would have seen like all the hand motions that he just did for that. I'm, did, I'm fucking he, Italian, man. Like this is, I just, he did this weird dinosaur thing at the very beginning. It was very T-Rex ish. <laughs> um, okay. So this, this article also inspired another, another thing, which I typically, I don't give either Chris or our guests a heads up on this stuff, but I thought this was like a good question. I was like, I want, I don't want them to be like dead air thinking about this, but the question I now have based off of this article is what is like the biggest misconception that you see in the bar that you feel like you have to either constantly correct or would like people to know like, Hey, that's not actually the case. So like, you know, again, with like the champagne and the different things that we've learned through this article, Ryan, for you, like what's something that stands out to you in terms of like, like that's actually not always how it is. Like it's sometimes like this or it's, or whatever the case is. Uh, I think uh, like generally asking questions, uh, if people think it's frowned upon, like in any question, whether it's like, um, what's in this or how is this made? I think mm-hmm. a lot of people from my experience in the market that I'm in will order something because they see one thing that on it that they recognize, uh, but that's what they attach to. And they're afraid that a bartender is too high and mighty or is too busy or this or that to ask like, hey, what's this? Or what's in that? Or what does this taste like? And more often than not, like at least if you go to the modernist, if you ask those questions, you're going to make a new friend and that's the bartender. And we're going to give you a taste of that. But I think like, as far as misconceptions go, it's like that you have to go to a bar and, and like sit there quietly. Now there is the complete opposite person where that will like bombard you with questions and uh, <laughs> like dominate your space. And so there is two sides to the coin, but I think generally, and I think maybe it's because of what we, everybody's been through in the past two and a half years, people uh, come in and they kind of like sit quietly instead of like talking to the people around them. And I think it's the, the now the misconception is that like, you go in and it's like getting a plate of food. You know what I mean? Like you sit there quietly and eat it and leave. Whereas yeah. it's getting better and better by the week, but it's like, come in, talk to your bartender, talk to the person next to you. It's okay to have a conversation. It's okay to reach out and it's okay to ask questions. I like it. I, I can definitely... I definitely find myself in that position where it's kind of like, Oh, I'm not allowed to talk to anybody anymore. So I think that's a really, really, really great point. And it, and it makes me happy that it's getting better. So that's awesome. Uh, Chris, what about for you? Well, now I feel bad about mine because uh, his was a <laughs> lot, um, a lot more like compassionate and, and evocative. Well, that's uh, why we bring guests on because you, everybody knows that we're not capable of compassion. So we have to bring the compassion and we have to outsource compassion. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, mine is that vodka actually tastes good. Oh, God, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I was going to get this response, which is why I brought it. You, you let me think about it. So this is your fault. Yeah, it is. 
Yeah, it is. No, I mean, hey, I I get it. I just and there are some ones that are very very good out there in the right situation. Sure. But, okay, but um, you, I mean, uh, let's let's take an example. Okay, um, let's say you are traveling across the United States, and every hotel or motel you stay in, you drink out of the tap that you are uh, of the hotel room in the bathroom that you're, you know, the bathroom of the hotel room that you're staying in. Every single place that you go to, that water is going to taste different. Some of it's going to be completely terrible. Most likely a lot of it's going to be really terrible. And occasionally that like one or two that you come across, you're just gonna be like, yeah, that, that Hyatt, that man, that they had the best water just outside of Salt Lake City. That was great water or whatever ice, right? Like that ice fucked up my drink. It was awful. But you take vodka, 90% of vodka and all the people's experience and it primarily Americans experience is generally late teens, early twenties. I don't know anything about booze. I want something that just like I can cover up with lemonade and I'm just going to drink it. And what that, what's that going to be? It's going to be pop off. It's going to be Taka. It's going to be Royal gate. It's going to be, it's going to be smeared off, right? Like it's, it's, you know, and smeared is going to be the good one and all that. I was going to say like Barry and Smirnoff. Wow. Well, you know, they, <laughs> hey, Smirnoff's got a their storied past in, in our country and uh, cocktail culture de, uh, owes its legacy to Smirnoff, but that's a different story for another time. In this case, though, you know, just like with anything else you've ever done, Drew, you spend a little bit of money, a little bit of time and putting yourself in the right, right uh, uh, situation to experience things in a good way. And you're going to stop telling me that you uh, that you decant wine in your belly and you'll actually start doing it. Still decant wine in my belly. That's a fact. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I've had some good ones. Russian Jewel, that's a, that was a good vodka. Russian Jewel is fantastic. Yeah, good, good stuff. I've had some... I've had some bison grass ones, you know, those are fun. They're different. Our buddy Carlson's Carlson's was a fun one. They're like virgin potatoes. Great. What, what kind of potatoes? Virgin. They're so young. The, the potatoes, they harvest them so young. They haven't grown the outer skin. It sounds horrible. Delicious. <laughs> Delicious. It sounds like that sounds like a bastardization of, I don't know. That makes Potato me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, for mine, it's that, you know, anytime that you drink tequila, you're supposed to have salt and lime with it. That is just not the case. Everybody, if you're drinking better tequila, please get yourself an orange slice, maybe some cinnamon if they have it and really open up your palate, unlock that caveman brain and let those wonderful, wonderful agave notes, you know, hit you. you. I I will say, uh, I, uh, I haven't, I'm not a, a, a chaser garnish uh, type of guy typically, but every once in a while I'll have one. I'll be like, Oh, there's your value. I oh, totally. You. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, right. I, I, I think that's, I think that's it. I mean, sometimes I have to remind myself. I mean, um, you know, I was, was at a, an agave bar uh, down in Napa recently and, and, you know, they gave me the really nice setup and um, they actually had the Trupolinas as well, which I know was they give you bugs, which I'm really jealous about. I've been, oh I've been my searching gosh. for bugs since I was yeah, running. Awesome. Uh, ever since I was running Cosecha, I've been looking for bugs. to serve. Yeah, I don't think it was legal. 
um because they're like they're like they're running out and i was just like what does that mean um you know so uh it was it was great though but i i do i do think in, in like the you know the way that i always explain it to people is that you know the bitterness of the lime and the salt like that's really about shutting your palate down right and it was really made popular by people who were drinking you know the gold tequila stuff that was like highly offensive to your palate you didn't want to taste it so by creating a ceremony around it it almost made that tequila shot fun right you know it's like lick the salt shoot your tequila bite the lime it was fun it was a, it was a ceremony now you know you got to think about it. like i said I made it? What, lick it suck it swallow is that that's the that's the the dirty terminology for for the order in which you do it i did it no. as salt tequila lime yeah lick the yeah. salt suck the lime oh no, no, no. i see no. so oh yeah. so you did you did yeah. lick swallow then suck Good for triple you, s good for yeah. you drew but you know so with the with the orange like again like that those those sweet notes on the sugar from the orange like that opens up your palate more and sometimes i do have to stop myself because if i'm really enjoying an agave you kind of get lost in it right as you're trying to pull out its new nuance and stuff like that you're kind of like oh no, no no let's take a moment let's let's eat a little bit of this orange it's really open up your palate it makes a big difference and you know it sounds so silly but it it really does um, so that's my that's my thing, and I think people should uh, don't just default to the salt and the salt and lime. And to my bartender friends, don't offer it to me ever. Don't do it. Well, I'm sick, I'm sick and tired of correcting you. Now it's now it's gotta happen. <laughs> it's all I'm gonna get. <laughs> people are gonna come up to me and be like, "Here's a bourbon that's smooth with your salt and lime," and I'm like, "God damn it!" <laughs> all the things I hate the most. <laughs> No, you're getting a sugar and lemon rim. That's what you're getting. Yeah, no, they're going to give you a celebrity agave with salt and lime. That's what they're going to give you. Oh my gosh. He knows you. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in that world. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) You know who's dope? Them over there. All right, now time for my favorite segment of the show, The Dope Follows. This is the part of the show where we tell you who you should be checking out. It could be an Instagram account, book, podcast, website, movie, TV show. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be industry-related. It can be whatever we think is cool. So, Ryan, kick us off. Who's your dope follow? Uh, I've got a couple. Um, one is a TV show, and one is an Instagram account. Uh, the Instagram account is Lost Cause Studio. Um, it is a lady who makes just super, super dope rugs. You can get yourself a Fernet rug, a Malort rug, one of your cat. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's like that. a bartender yes. that uh, a bartender is like that's got a hobby. That's super fucking cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's been featured on Mover and Shaker a few times, and like participates in giveaways. But if you're a bartender and you need a Fernet rug, or you want to support Malort and let everybody else know that you're a masochist, then get a rug from Lost Cause Studios. You know what I mean? <laughs> Support a bartender that has a dope hobby. Um, the other one is a TV show that was just recently released um, called The Bear. And oh, it's, uh, yes. Yes. Pretty fucking rad, you guys. Uh, they, uh, they don't pull any punches. It's, it's pretty dope. Um, that's all I'll say. It's produced by a, uh, a pretty famous chef, but he just plays a janitor in it, which I think is hilarious. Uh, so yeah, check it out. I think I uh, I absolutely loved the bear. I binged it the day it came out. Um, 
didn't really know what I was getting myself into. And, and I think it's, I think it's important to point out, like if you've ever been in a professional kitchen for a long amount of time, it's like, it might really hit you hard with some PTSD. So please keep that. Yeah, there's in mind. definitely some, there's definitely some trigger moments in there. I, uh, both, both Jen and I were, we're on, uh, we just finished episode four last night. And uh, we, there was one scene, I, I don't even remember what it was, but both of us were kind of like white knuckling it <laughs> while it was like going down. We were just like cringing to ourselves. And yeah, when it was over, I like looked over and she had the same, same physical reaction that I was having. It yeah. Was, it's, it's pretty it's, good. I think you're yeah, right. Put it perfectly. They don't pull any punches. Like most episodes are, you know, like 25, 30 minutes. And then I think the finale is an hour. The episode before the finale so like you know so i'm so i'm binge i'm binge watching it right i maybe start at like six six or seven o'clock and i get to the end and i'm like i'm like well there's only two episodes left i was like well this one's only 20 minutes that's weird and i watch it and you get done with that episode you're like that is physically all i could have handled there's (laughs) no way i could have handled 22 minutes i would have died so well, it's like that 20 minutes stretches into an hour in your brain because you fucking felt that oh, before and it's just my, crazy. Oh my gosh. It was just like, and it, you know, and it was, I mean, and again, we don't want to give it away, but yeah, you know, don't it's, ruin it's, it. But it's basically, you know, it's a chef taking over his family's restaurant and he comes from fine dining. So he's trying to instill a brigade system into a crew that wants no part of this brigade system and part of it is you know kind of being a monster right and um oh my gosh yeah just absolutely i mean you know it was funny because uh there was obviously a lot of people that came to mind when i'm watching it right and one of them i actually was going to see the next day and, uh, and I, and I was debating, I was like, I was like, do I bring it up to this person that they, this reminded me of them? And I was like, there's no way that ends well for me. Right. Cause it's like, if they haven't watched it, they'll eventually watch it. And then, you know, nobody wants to be portrayed in a certain way. So, uh, it was a completely different experience. And, and Chris, please remind me to tell you who that person was after we get done recording. Can't wait because you are going to be blown away by it. Um, but I dude, such a great show. I, I feel like it's really, it's, it's continuing to pick up more and more traction. Uh, like I was listening to Dave Chang show today and he was talking about it. And so, um, yeah, it's really, I mean, it, it's taken the whole industry by storm, just like, uh, how chef did a few years ago. Yep. Totally. It's really. Yep. Absolutely. agree. So it's great. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, it's, it's so good. And, um, no, I love it. Okay. Chris, who's your, who's your dope follow? Um, uh, mine's a homie and, uh, we've had him on here before and, uh, I just, I just want to throw a little bit love back his way. Uh, he's still grinding and, and doing his thing. Uh, and I just, I love what he does and he's working with other homies at the same point in time. Uh, so, uh, wine talk with Tesh, uh, whether it's on Instagram or, uh, YouTube, um, he does a great job, uh, Tashi is hands down one of the more knowledgeable human beings and just lovely, lovely men. And, and he just, I, I consume copious amounts of alcohol around Tash all the time <laughs> um, to the point where my wife is like, every time she knows that Tash and I are hanging out, that she's like, all right, well, I'll just, I'm going to bed then. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll see. I'll see you in the morning. And, uh, uh, but it's, you know, it's nothing but love. I, I, his um, content is really pretty fantastic that he's, that he's putting out. It's really pertinent, it's educational, um, and uh, it's, it's really engaging. So uh, yeah. why talk with Tesh? And, and I realize how, how this sounds before I even say it, but I obviously have a very high opinion of my presentation skills. And I think I really do give good trainings and stuff like that. Tesh is way better than me. And yeah, he's I think way better than a lot of people. It's like, it is, he is so much fun to watch. He's so engaging. He takes this category of wine and, you know, and really breaks it down to make it these digestible bites. And you just kind of feel like, you know, you know, you don't ever feel like you're being talked at. You do feel like you're learning something. You feel like you were part of something. So uh, that's awesome. That's a great. Uh, I'll also give him another feather in his cap uh, for those who don't know him and who haven't, who maybe need an extra reason to, to listen and follow him. He, uh, he was a sommelier for a restaurant here in Sacramento called the kitchen, uh, which has received its, uh, its first Michelin star. Um, the uh, only, only in Sacramento. So yeah, we got a bunch of, we got a bunch of, we got like a bunch of nods and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, kitchen and he was the, he was the sommelier, uh, or that so the man knows his stuff and he can be your psalm too just so you he know. can he can be your psalm too did you know that that was my idea tesh is my he's always i came up with that i came up with that that's his hashtag now that's why we're saying it insider baseball uh awesome okay to wrap up our dope follows i'm gonna go with an instagram account this dude is killing me with every single video he puts out and it's um at Adrian Bliss. And so it's A-D-R-I-A-N-B as in boy L-I-S-S. And he just does these really hilarious videos where he just plays every character and he's English. So his, his accent is adorable as well. And like the one that turned me on to it was he basically plays like this cupcake who's trying to get into the party in his stomach. And the bouncer's like, you got to turn around. You got to go the other way. He's like, but they said I could come in. He's like, who told you that? He's like, the brain. The brain told me I could come in. He's like, no, you got to go. And it's like, all these beers are behind him. There's like pizzas and hot dogs, like dancing in the stomach. And then he like turns around and he goes, it's like, she, like I'm sorry, are, are you a dessert? And he goes, yeah, I'm a cupcake. And he's like, oh, we got plenty of room for you in the dessert section, right? And I was just like, I was like that is me. That is me to a T right there. It's like, that's a different part of the stomach. I can fit it in. But every time, and now I'm starting to see, because I share all of his videos, like my friends are starting to share them. And every time that happens, I end up going on his page and just re-watching all of these different videos that he's done. And they're so funny and they're just ridiculous. Um, even his sponsored ones, which I usually get really annoyed by sponsored content, are amazing. Like the people who are hiring him to push stuff for him are they're doing a great job. So uh, again, that's Adrian Bliss on Instagram. It's just, it's ridiculous and it's hilarious. Absolutely, absolutely adore it. So check that one out. Those are pretty dope follows. The 
music for the Good Bottle Caught podcast is orchestrated by Leon and Chase Moore, produced awkwardly by us two guys, and uh, with a nice little cameo. I, I will say we've never given her any uh, any credit, but uh, I had a meeting with her today, and so I'll give her a shout out here. Uh, uh, Megan uh, Milleron from uh, from Old Sacktown here. She's our uh, you know who's dope lady. Uh, oh, before yeah. we go kill these bottles uh, that we're drinking, we asked that if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast or our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison 6 Chris is Kristen Flair. Ryan, where can they find you on the social webs? At R-J-M-E-T-T-Y. R-J-M-E-T-T-Y. And hey, where, where's uh, where's Modernist at? How can they find that? Modernist is in downtown Fresno, Central California. We calm down. We are open six days a week, and we would love to have you guys here. Love it. Love it. If you would like for us to cover a story or you're working with a brand that would like to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can maybe purchase some of the things that we drank on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. Every once in a while. Every once in a while. And until next time, cheers, fellas. Cheers. Big ears. (laughs) You guys are also down the street from the Grizzly Stadium, right? Yes, we are. Yeah. Baseball and cocktails. That's That's all I need. Watch a game, grab a cocktail.